Soccer Nation, your authoritative source for NCAA Division I collegiate soccer, hosted by Oklahoma Sooners head coach Matt Mott, Rice Owls head coach Brian Lee, and the Duke Blue Devils head coach Robbie Church. They've got the insights, strategies, and insider stories you won't hear anywhere else. From recruiting to national championships, the coaches have it covered. So lace up and let's hit the pitch with Coach Mott, Coach Lee, and Coach Church. This is Matt Mott, head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. We are excited for this podcast today. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. I'm joined with, uh, as always, Brian Lee from the Rice Owls. And the godfather, Chris Petroselli, is back with us. The GOAT, as we like to call him. He's with us. We'll be on with a guest here shortly, which we're excited about. But first, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. It's good to see you and Brian back on, yes. back on the uh, pod again. Tell us, Chris, what you did today. I played uh, in Chicago, if you believe it or not, I played nine holes of golf um, with my wife. And we were paired with two guys. One guy is a member of Frankie Valley's band. You know, Frankie Valley's 90 years old and he's still oh, wow. doing concerts. Okay? Is he still performing? Yeah, yeah. Is he? And then the other guy, this is even better. The other guy, and these are just random people that we got paired with. Um, was the bus driver on Hoosiers? Oh, I don't remember what the bus driver did, but Is, isn't wasn't that the pastor Brian, like the the church pastor, because they got his bus because his um it was something with his, the church. It was a church bus they used, and I think he hmm. drove it because he's pastor. Anyway, that's very interesting. I love Hoosiers is Hoosiers is top three movie all time for me. I'd say well, if it's on, I'm watching it. We have that to do top like five a... on on movies. We did. I think we did. And we'll I think that did. was up there. Sports movies. Yeah. Brian, how are you doing? like a uh, highfalutin oh. golf course he was playing out it there. Does, that's it, true. Really, it, does. It, it does. wasn't. It really wasn't. It does. It was a nine-hole muni, right? That's Whatever. That was a country club. Country club downtown no, Chicago. Chicago country club, probably. <laughs> um, Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Interesting times around here. The W Gold Cup is in town, one of the groups. So we've got El Salvador and Canada training at Rice, which oh, makes my a little uh, more exciting and fun. Oh, great. Whose training session was better? <laughs> Both fantastic. Oh, there it is. Both there fantastic. Is. Actually, Are today, these... you know who I really, really like, Bev Priestman at, at Canada and her whole staff. Um, we are out there today watching them. Fantastic and really good people. She's great. Yeah, she's great. I She, she had... Um, I had more contact with her leading up to the World Cup and than than anybody, you know, of uh, of the World Cup coaches that were out there. And and it was constant. And they were they were really monitoring what uh St. George's is is who it was. They were really monitoring what what she was doing every day. Yeah. And then they're running a top class operation. Yeah. They start to finish. Yeah. Oh, speaking of top class uh organization. <laughs> We are joined. We have a great guest here today, guys. We've been trying, to, we've been efforting her for probably the whole time the podcast has been on. I finally convinced her to do it, conned her into it. But we are joined with uh, someone I met about 10 or 11, maybe 12 years ago, uh, when we were both employees at the University of Mississippi, uh, Julie Owen. She is a senior associate AD at Kansas State, but she was at the time the uh, one of the uh, ADs or senior ADs for compliance at Ole Miss. And she, uh, 
She is the reason why we were successful at Ole Miss when I was there because so many, so many problems she solved for me from a compliance standpoint, from a you name it. So without further ado, Julie Owen, welcome to College Soccer Nation. Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be here. Matthew. Your name plates is Matthew. We're going to uh, okay. <laughs> well, listen, Julie is here, really. We want to go through um and talk about a lot of the lot of the lawsuits, where kind of NIL came from. So stuff that I think a lot of our listeners hear these words and wonder how did we get here? And and Julie is in the forefront, one of the most knowledgeable people in the country, the smartest person I know. Um, but certainly when it comes to this this stuff, she is on top of it. So what I'd like to do, Julie, is one, first give us a little bit of your background. And then after that, talk, start telling us about how did we get here with NIL? Just go give us a brief history of how how it happened and now where we are. That's the first question. Okay. Brief background. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been working in, in compliance at a different institutions since about August 2007. So Spent some time at Wright State in Dayton, Ohio to get started. The University of Oklahoma back in the day before the Matt Mott days. Um, mm -hmm. I went from there to uh, Mississippi and then I've been at Kansas State for about two and a half years. You know, my background, um, I have a degree in economics. I have an MBA and master's in sport administration, a law degree and a, a PhD in higher ed. So look at it from a number of different perspectives. And I think it's been an interesting uh, evolution that, you know, really the name image likeness path started well before I even joined the industry. Um, so I should have called you Dr. Owen. I apologize for that, by the way. That's no, we're my, good. That's we're my good. fault. That's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, what, what are you doing on this podcast with, with us three <laughs> dumbasses? That's, that's my first question. Well, Matt told me that you guys were incredibly smart. He was just the one that was kind of the weight holding you all down. That's yeah. true. That, that is true. <laughs> you, you just listed more degrees than we have combined. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, exactly right. speaking, one of the benefits of working in higher ed is you get so many classes for free right so you got to take advantage of that just when the uh, next day is coming to an end so that's never what I did that. yeah never did that yeah, <laughs> all right so tell us about nil yeah so i think like where we are today like i think you really have to go back like 20 years and i may miss some dates in here but i think the real conversation started if you guys remember there was a student athlete named jeremy bloom at the university of colorado yeah. Yep. And um, he was a skier, very good skier, Olympic skier um, and a non-scholarship football player. Right. And he wanted it was an Olympic time to be able to use his name, image and likeness with endorsement deals in a skiing realm so that he could fund his athletic his Olympic training. Right. Um, that kind of ran afoul of the NCAA rules at the time with him being a football student athlete. OK. And so he actually challenged, he wrote waivers or whatever, and challenged that uh, stance in court. And I think that's the first evolution. I think if you look back now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the question is, did we get it right then? Like we told Jeremy Bloom as an association, you cannot monetize in skiing and still play football. But we were okay with baseball players being professional in baseball, right? Playing minor league baseball, but coming back to play another sport. And so I think you could probably go back to that with, with like I said, the benefit of 20 years hindsight and say, do we get it right? But the long story short is Jeremy Bloom challenged in court. He lost his injunction. Okay. So he gave up football and he goes on to a skiing thing. And I think that quieted things 
for quite a time, right? Maybe 10 years until we saw the Ed O'Bannon case come out, which right around 2014. And that challenged the name image likeness rules. And you see that case tied to EA Sports a lot, right? So that was one of the things that got brought up. The end result of the Ed O'Bannon case is, uh, you know, the Supreme Court didn't take it. Um, and there were some kind of nuances in there, but ultimately led to cost of attendance scholarships, right? So we can't cap scholarships underneath what's cost of attendance is. Um, but again, that kind of came to a dead end legally. So some support, if not all support for um, NCAA regulation. Um, about that time that case was finishing, you saw the state of California, so 2019, introduce state legislation that basically said their student athletes could benefit off name image likeness, right? They could profit off of that. And they had a implementation date of 2023. So coming out of that um, state law, the out-of-bounding case, you know, the NCAA put together this working group because we in college athletics love a good working group um, <laughs> to look at NIL and, and where were we and how are we going to modernize it? And what I think people forget a lot is that we were set to vote on NIL legislation at the January 2021 NCAA convention. There's a series of proposals that had come out. Um, also accompanying that was going to be a vote on the one-time transfer rule, right? So I think if you just take NIL in isolation, we're probably missing some of the picture. Um, it's coupled with the one-time transfer with the transfer portal to get to where we really are. And so... Some sports, like the Olympic sports, the soccer, for example, had already some allowance for transfers, but it was up to the institution's discretion whether they were going to grant it, right? Other sports did not. Baseball, uh, the basketballs, football, ice hockey, there might be some others. Couldn't transfer uh, and be immediately eligible. So right before that convention, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, issues a letter right, to the NCAA that expresses concern over the transfer rules and NIL proposals and whether they violated antitrust legislation. So you can't conspire to hold down um, profits, right? So some states get kind of a hold of that and look at maybe the landscape is changing from where it was even in 2014 with the start of the O'Bannon case, but certainly from 20 years with, with Jeremy Bloom. And so Florida jumps in and adopts state legislation, but unlike California, their effective date is, is July, 2021, right? And then you just saw all kinds of states, especially in that Southeast region of the country, kind of get on board, fearing that they're gonna be left behind. So kind of the NCAA waited a little bit to see the outcome of another case, it was the Alston case, which really was specific to educational benefits. It was not necessarily NIL related, but that was granted certiorari by the Supreme Court so that's where the Alston money or academic graduation award money or whatever you call it, 5980 a year comes from. Supreme Court not only sided with the, the, the plaintiff Alston in that case, but in their decision expressed some question about other antitrust concerns related to NCAA legislation. And so that's sort of where the tide really turned and it's kind of happened very quickly, I think over the last two and a half years is there's a lot of question now about what the NCAA can and can enforce from an antitrust perspective. That case, the Austin case, was not specifically related to NIL. And so that's where you're seeing some of these current challenges come in, right? And you've seen 
where Jeremy lost his injunction, right? You've seen a number of them in the transfer realm be granted. We've got one we're waiting on a decision out of the Tennessee courts on NIL. And all of a sudden that momentum where it was siding with the NCAA and ability to enforce rules before has changed to be more student athlete friendly, right? And so that's kind of where we are. We've got a lot of different state laws. We've got states that don't have state laws. We've got different schools, different conferences doing different things. Um, and again, the antitrust thing comes in when it's the NCAA governing it, less so when it's specific conferences kind of going their own path. So that's what you see right now. Good. So real quick, I got one question and then I'll let you ask a question, Chris. Tell me in, in a dumb form, what does antitrust mean? So antitrust is you cannot conspire to restrict earnings, right? Mm -hmm. So like okay. there has to be kind of a free market. And if you collude, so let's just say Nike, Adidas, all your, you know, athletic apparel companies decided that they were going to say, we're capping all designer salaries at 50 grand a year, right? Like you, you can't do that because there's a market for it. Um, and so the question is, and forgive my junior legalese, but the question is, does it hamper, does whatever rules in place hamper the free market? Is there a less restrictive way to do it? Or is there some reason that industry needs it, right? And so I think even the Alston case leaves out a little bit. There is a difference between pro sports and collegiate sports. And there probably is a set of rules that needs to be in place to keep that line of demarcation and viewership interest. And so I think what will be interesting is how does NIL come out in that analysis? We know where mm -hmm. academic related benefits come out. That's what the Alston decision was. How does NIL come out in that? I don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Um, I have a lot of questions actually. So Brian, you can <laughs> cut me off if I, if I start going too far. Um, since the Jeremy Bloom case, has the NCA ever won a case since then? <laughs> you know, I, I can't speak holistically, but it has been a tough sled legally, right? Like it's been a tough I, sled legally. And and I, I saw something the other day where we talked about whatever, they got so many that they're going through right now. So I don't know which one it was, but they showed up to court with 13 lawyers. Yeah. You said you have a law degree. <laughs> yes, from 2007. So let's be let's be careful what we're throwing out there. What do they do with 13 lawyers? Like, what? Why, why do you need 13 lawyers? Like, isn't one enough? I, like, I never. Yeah, so, like, I think it's kind of funny because one of the criticisms, and and I'm not going to pass judgment, right or wrong, right? Like, so I think this is where I have to give the the disclaimer. This is all my opinion, right? Like, not yeah, no problem. Yes. <laughs> But like one of the criticisms of the NCAA is how, how slow their enforcement process is, right? Um, yeah. And you couple that with the uh, protections given to student athletes and coaches in the process. And one of them, just for an example, is the right to have counsel. So what you see in an infractions process is all of these specialized people representing. So every coach is going to show up. Every staff member is going to show up with an attorney. The school is going to have outside counsel, their general counsel. Right. And that's one of the reasons for you have these long cases. So I think you're seeing similar stuff in that the NCAA has in-house legal counsel that's probably going to be there and that's going to factor into their their number. But they're going to have some some specialty. And then I think you see some conferences have their own vested legal interests. Right. So I think you have different representations that maybe not all 13 are directly representing the NCAA. OK. Um, 
and and you you threw the disclaimer out, right? So when I <laughs> when I ask you these questions, you can you can have an opinion, which is great. Because people like Matt, he gets on this show and he never has an opinion, you know. And fortunately, we got some. That can't be true. Matt has an opinion on everything. <laughs> exactly, he does. Julie. He does off 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 screen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Whatever. <laughs> well, this is my show. Oh no, it's not. So sorry. in your in your crystal ball, you're yeah. looking, I don't know, five years down the road in the five to 10 year time period. Will there even be an NCAA? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. Um, and I'll, I'll be candid. I think this question has come up at various times in the history of the NCAA. Um, and I'll give you two answers. One, I hope so. And whether that's the NCAA in that name or some other similar governing body, I hope we have a structure of college athletics that's widespread and gives students an opportunity to get an education and participate at a high level. Um, two, I think this is probably the first point in time I've been associated with college athletics. I don't 100% know that's going to be true. Um, and so I think some of it's going to depend on, on where we go from a legal landscape uh, over the next, you know, probably 12 to 24 months. Um, you know, I think the the moment that you lose the tether uh, between college sports and the institution and, and the kind of distinct notion that these are students playing athletics at a very high level, I think you could lose some interest, right? Some viewership interest, some, some monetary interest, but also then there's way more kind of high level legal questions that I can, but an equity standpoint and all of that is what's the incentive to invest, right? And so, I, and Matt and I've had this conversation, There, there is a, an outcome that's possible that looks at, you know, elite level athletes in Olympic sports that aren't coming through colleges, that it looks more like a European model where you have minor league teams or farm teams or Olympic training programs. Um, you know, I think that would be unfortunate I still think that you're going to have some governing body and some organization five years down the road. Okay, last one. Um, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Brian. Um, I, I, I don't see any path, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that doesn't include paying players. The, the, payers are, the players are going to get paid. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm going to editorialize more than I'm going to ask a question. But um, the pushback from players get paid it coming from universities, athletic direct, directors, mostly uh, we can't afford it, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Well, how about if you don't put a, a lazy river in the middle of your uh, football facility? Okay. <laughs> that might save you some money. All right. How about if your, your football coach, instead of making $10 million, he only makes a million dollars. That gives you $9 million. You could pay a lot of players for $9 million, right? So am I wrong, given your experience, by saying it's the money isn't isn't a problem. There, there is money there. It's just how do you want to spend it? Yeah, so we live in a capitalist society, right? Like free economics. And, and so every decision is a, is a resource allocation decision, isn't it? Um, and I think because you couldn't use financial benefits to uh, attract students to your campus. We did all these other things to attract them, right? Whether it was the facilities in the lazy rivers, whether it was chartering versus commercial flights, 
Um, you know, whether it was, you know, student athlete development, life skills programs, you couldn't get anywhere else, whatever was appealing to different classes of students looking to make a college decision. That's what we invested in. Right. So, yes, I agree with you. At some point, there's going to be some sort of um, whether we call it revenue sharing or I would hate to use the word salary because that would imply that they're employees, which I'm not necessarily sure is the best path. Um, but yes, I think that there's going to be a different cut of money to at least a group of student athletes and how we identify those and how we allocate is a difficult question. You know, there's a lot of people that have solutions, but if you really look at most of their solutions right now, it's based on the ability to collective bargain, which would inherently imply their employees. Yeah. Um, and so whether that comes, you talked about the the plethora of lawsuits out there and there are a number, whether that comes as settlements and and some you know, window of reprieve and, and this is the agreement or um, through employee status, I think we're going to get to to a different model. And I, I think that's okay, right? Like, I think there's a model that can be modern um, and accommodate the needs and, and be somewhat legal, right? Or agreed upon um, that still has the benefits. I think, you know, look back, we didn't even start offering athletic scholarships to like the 1960s, right? And right. at that time, it was gonna the world was going to end because we were paying players in the form of a scholarship. Right. right. And then that's we went to cost of attendance, and that was certainly going to end the world because yeah, not everybody could, could offer the yeah. same. Yeah. Um. And so the I coaches think, are the worst, by the way, about the world is going to end. The coaches yeah. are always the one who are screaming it. Absolutely, everything is then. So I don't know if you guys even saw just like two minutes before I got on, there was an interp about um you can't put decorations in hotel yep. rooms on official visits like no. Yep. I'm probably breaking news to Matt right now, but judging by his yeah. yeah, that when I send that out, that will end the world for some of our sports. <laughs> that now you can, you cannot, you oh, you not even oh, a recruiting oh. material, no snacks, Matt, nothing, no diet cokes in the recruits hotel rooms. That's crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Brian, go ahead. Well, it just a couple quick ones. What role do you think? Um, and all these lawsuits happen against the NCAA. How many do you think started when a student athlete walked into the Parthenon that is the NCAA building and realized, oh, these guys make a lot of money? Or is anybody in the design of that building? If you know, I'm sure you've been the NCAA offices. Yeah. That the first time I walked in there, I was like, oh my God, there's a lot of money here. Was the, the first thing I thought. And, and it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, kind of excess spending slash, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, candidly, I, I think there's a couple of things that probably factor into it. Uh, one is the publicity surrounding the um, media right deals, right? Like, so everybody started, all the conferences started these television channels, which is awesome. We get to see so many games. Um, but they also then started publishing what their annual distribution is. And part of that's to make themselves appealing to institutions that might be looking to move. Part of that's to make themselves appealing to student athletes looking to participate at a high level. So I think that's a factor. I think all of the, the conversations regarding coaches' salaries, especially in a couple of the high profile sports and, and the attention that's gotten, which ironically has been a point of conversation now for a hundred years. If you look back to the 1920s, there was a report called the Carnegie report on the mm -hmm. state of college athletics and how bad it was. And one of the things on there was the outrageous coaching salaries. Right. So this isn't a new conversation. It's a hundred year old one, 
but I think just with the advent of of media, the attention, the 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 dollars being um, thrown out there, um, and then some of the success, right? Like if if Ed O'Bannon had not been successful, we probably wouldn't have seen this. Um, I mean, I think you saw even in the transfer space and the injunctions, you had an injunction in West Virginia. And then all of a sudden we had a couple more, you know, individual students file suit there. So um, I think it's a combination of factors. But yes, the the money in play is certainly one of them. Well, Julie, what about, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Matt. I was going to say, so, you know, we talked about, and you kind of brushed on it, that it could be some sports that get, get the money, right? But don't you think that if they, and again, we're talking football and basketball, right? We're not, no one's crazy here. If they start playing the basketball and football players, and I am by no means saying they shouldn't, but if they do, isn't the lawsuits coming for the women's sports or the other Olympic sports issues? They're not women's sports, Olympic sports. You know what I'm saying? Like, how are they going to get away with, is there a way for them to get away with doing that? I guess would be yeah. my question. And I think, um, it, you know, that's probably way, way above my ability to, to yeah. speculate on. And I think some of it's going to depend on the employee determination, Right. Some of it's going to depend on um, legal settlements um, and some of it's going to depend on how Title IX is going to come into play. Um, and yeah. I think those are all really big questions that don't have easy answers. And then how about tell us just a little bit about the the the, the whatever it is, four million, four billion or 13 billion lawsuit that's out right now. That's going to have to get settled. Yeah, what is it? I think probably the one that, that's garnering the most attention is is this house case. And it's been out there for quite a while. Um, and it's essentially, you know, um, again, we've changed the rules and, and people think that they should have gotten a cut of it, you know, when, when they couldn't, right. So it's seeking damages now. So as we pass new rules, it's, it kind of bites us, you know, a little bit, it helps moving forward, but isn't as great moving backward. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're looking for a big settlement and, and there are a couple of opportunities there. One is, as part of that settlement, can you create a framework that works for the next five or 10 years? Um, or, you know, alternatively, is is that that price tag going to be one that opens the door to more? And I, and again, that's a that's a big question. You want to talk about the number of attorneys working on that. It's, it's going to be insane, right? Because I think not even all conferences probably agree um, necessarily on the direction to go there. Um, so that, that case, though, Julie, is based on past people that didn't get NIL opportunities to do NIL. They're suing yep. to get damages. for that Yeah. Case. So basically, yeah. I think it's, it's even more encompassing, right? Like it's it, because of NCAA restraints. I couldn't make this money, whether that's Alston or NIL. It's, it's, it's oh, okay. Yeah. Is, is that the one, Julie, that's only against power fives? Yes. And the NCAA, right? And then Hubbard is is a, a newer one that is also against uh, autonomy conferences. Yeah. Wow. All right, then let's let's talk real quick about expansion. Okay. Back to Chris's mirror ball. Five years from now, what does it look like expansion wise, in your opinion, the Julie Owen opinion? I, I think so. Years ago, remember we had a big kind of division, and we separated it off to to FBS and FCS. Right. Um, and then not quite as long ago, I guess, I don't know, was it 10, 10 years ago now? Maybe it, it was autonomy uh, and group of five. Right. So you've seen these splits at, at various points in the history of the NCAA. Um, President Baker's proposed kind of a model that's out there that that mm -hmm. if adopted or some form of it is adopted, could 
you know, potentially create an, another split. Who goes there and who doesn't? I'm. That's a tough question. Yeah. Brian's um, got that figured out, by the way. Brian's yeah, got Brian's got it out. Figured out. Out. Awesome. out. I mean, I think you'd be naive to to say if you don't go in that upper group, right? Like that that it's going to affect you, right? I think you look at it. It kind of conferences that were not part of the A five and their desire to be it at schools, right? Who have looked to join A five conferences. Um, if you create another split or another tier, you're going to have that same kind of aspiration and then you're gonna have schools that can do it and schools that can't and just so people listening that don't know when she says a5 she's talking compliance lingo that's same as power five it's autonomy five correct it is and it look when, at me julie look at me with my compliance I'm so proud i'm so proud I nailed it. when it happened remember it was it was the acc big 10 sec big 12 and pac 12. Yeah. Julian, what do you think about, you know, we we always use expansion and the dollars are so big and the expansion is about money. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't retraction be about money as well? Like at what point do you (laughs) think teams are going to get kicked out of these conferences because they don't bring the value that drives the payments? Yeah, so I have like a, a group text of, of people similarly nerdy like me. And that is the question that keeps coming up is, you know, I think there's a respective history in many cases, but um, at some point you have to factor that in, right? Like if you can trade and it's not even necessarily, and I think you're seeing it necessarily about athletics tradition per se, in some cases it's tied, but it's about media markets. It's, it's what mm-hmm. dollars can you bring in? And so it may not even be like a lowest team kind of ranking rise from basketball, football perspective in the league, if they've got a good media market. Right. So those schools that don't have great media markets, at what point do you trade them for? Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough question for, for people to answer. Right. Brian loves the retraction. I love the Everyone asks when Julie, this is my deal with these two. Everyone asks (laughs) like, Oh, it's all about the money and expansion, as if it's not all you know about the money when it comes to the possibility of retraction as well. Well, it's, let's just say hypothetically, you've got a conference and your conference distribution is fifty million dollars a year, right? And you've got let's say sixteen teams in the conference, and thirteen of those are where the value for that fifty million is. But if you dump three and add three, you go from fifty to seventy, right? So like. Yeah, I mean, it, it is all about the money, but at some point, the money's going to say, I'm going to trade, right? Yeah, and that's I mean, a lot oh, of yeah. money. Why you've, you've got some of those schools claiming their, their department's losing $10 million a year. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty easy to make up an extra $30 million, especially when you're in the middle of negotiating the next TV contract for the you know, college football playoffs. And I so. think at some point we think that, you know, media contracts are always going to go up, right? Because that's historically what they have done. I mean, what what's the ceiling there and when do we hit it? And then what happens, right? Like, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's where the, the increase in spending is coming from. So uh, I think those are all things that are, are looming at some point, And I just don't know what that is. I appreciate your opinion, Matt. Did you hear yeah, that? Yeah, he's so happy, Julie. You just made his day. <laughs> he's been famous. But so, but you know, you're reading these articles, about, and maybe it's, and I, we are not getting into this, but maybe it's politically driven. I don't know. But you read articles that ESPN struggling, and they're laying off people, and they're this, and they're that, and there's all these issues with Disney, and 
and ABC and whatever, but yet the 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 college football contracts continue to go up and up and up. So I mean, I don't, I'm not asking you to give me how ESPN works, but it seems strange, doesn't it, that the money keeps going up, but they keep talking about all these problems at ESPN or, or at Disney. So my response would be is, how is that different than any college athletics department? We all don't have money, right? But we all spend more. Yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. I think Chris said it earlier, right? It's resource allocation questions. Where are you going to spend it? Yeah. And yeah. If, if the return is in the college football playoff, then that's where you're going to spend it. Yeah. I mean, you could see ESPN doing things like dropping the NBA so they can mm -hmm. spend more money on college football. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But it, it is it is interesting though. You know, you being the historian, is it is the biggest change in college athletics television? I think it's probably the one that has driven the most change. Yes, because of the dollars associated. And remember, we've been at like changing college athletics is actually relatively slow, right? Like so, the TV thing really started what nineteen eighty four was it? with your Oklahoma Sooners, Matt, and suing the NCAA over television, right? So remember, at one point in time, the NCAA controlled television rights. Um, really? I did, did not yeah. know that. That's yeah. where the, the Notre Dame contract came out for NBC, came out of that. Yeah, and so that that case is where the money started to go to the conferences, right? Um, and so it's kind of funny because everybody talks about the college football playoff and how much money it brings into the NCAA, but keep in mind, the NCAA gets $0 from the college football playoff. Yeah. Like all conference money, the NCAA makes their money from the men's basketball tournament, right? Because they control their rights to that TV deal, right? And so, you know, change actually is a little slower. We're, we're living in it, and it seems fast right now, but, but real change is actually a little slower. Um, and so, you know, at some point in time, does that look differently? What if it's, you know, schools or groups of schools controlling media rights and we're going to package ourselves. So, you know, we have the shift from like cable to streaming, right. And now we're starting mm -hmm. to see some streaming channels, you know, package themselves. Bundle, and yeah. Right. So you could go a number of different ways. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what people who have real influence and in decision-making power take us. Well, this podcast is one of those powerful groups for sure. Yeah. No, 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 no. I do have one last question. Yeah. Wait, Brian, you, you got one? You got one? Before anything else? I do. Before Chris is, if a movie was made about Matt's life, who would star <laughs> in it? Mm, you know, honestly. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. So does, it, does he have to be alive still? Because I would have gone with Chris Farley without a doubt. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to hold to that, even though it can't happen. It, I think it's a Chris Farley thing. Yeah. Uh, Chris Farley was a lot better looking. For sure. Fair. <laughs> better dancer. That's about so, it. Better dancer. Along that same line, Julie, how many years were, were you together with Matt at, at Ole Miss? Shoot, I started there in August of 11. So we were together like 10 years there. 10 I think years. I've known you for, for 12 plus years. Yeah. 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 Give me the, the best Matt Mott story you have. You know, I there's a lot. I think the thing that I take away, and, and Matt and I have talked about this, the thing I take away from Matt is is he's got his own special language. Like, like if you text with Matt or you talk to Matt, 
where you try to figure out Matt Mott scholarships, right? Like uh, his own language. And yeah. so um, half of knowing Matt and, and being friends with Matt is being able to speak a foreign language and interpret. Yes. No punctuation, first of all. No punctuation anywhere. Not at all. I mean, I remember when he was going through trying to get this job. And the first thing I said to him was, do not send a text message until it's edited, right? Like it's a <laughs> one on sentence with no capital letters. I was like, dude, what are you saying? Um, but that's part of what makes him endearing, right? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. No, listen, uh, the reason I'm sitting here at the University of Oklahoma is about 95%, Julie, because she prepped me for every meeting I had, went through any email I had to send to anybody. Um, no, she, she uh, as you can tell, She's the smartest one around. So yeah, Absolutely. no, I, I owe a lot to her in my uh, in my career. There's no doubt. And her numbers on speed dial. She's on my speed dial. Well, yeah, you couldn't do it yourself, Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Takes a village. Takes a village. Very, very nice, village. but but we just we had to we had to put it in the English language. So so yes, yes, yes. So she 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 went through and did my whole recruiting philosophy for me i mean she i mean helped me helped me get it into you know normal english oh uh, it's awesome all right julie well listen thank you very much been very very helpful very insightful i think our listeners will really enjoy it cuz i think there's lots of questions of like you know how is this all working and why is it working and i think you answered a ton of questions and the only bad part was now you've made brian feel so good that he's and the things he's been saying is correct which is painful for the rest of us as I get that whenever something happens in the NCAA, uh, you know, somebody cuts a sport, Brian's like, see, I told you guys, I told you guys. That's what we get. That's all the text message. It's painful. But anyway. All right, Julie. Minute, Brian. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. All right. Yes, yes, Thank yes. Thank you guys all right, for Julie, having me. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. All right. Yeah, Julie. Told you she was smart, guys. You don't want to listen she to me, smart. did you? Yeah. Oh, she's, she's super yeah. smart. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go from her to Robbie. Okay, we uh, all right. Let's add in. Uh, let's add in the fourth member of this panel, Robbie Church from Duke University. He's back with us. He's actually, believe it or not, technologically, he's with us. His Zoom is working. I see his face. I can hear his voice. It's all working. We missed him the last couple of times, but Robbie, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> good, good, good to see everybody. But you know, Brian Lee and I have decided that it's not us. Technology. It is not us two. It <laughs> is the Oklahoma Sooners. That's funny. Said that Chris gets right. on, no problem. Chris gets right on, no problem. Yeah. Zoom. Um, well, I just us. It's your two. first time to Zoom. Um, <laughs> Churchy, how's spring going in Durham? What's what's the weather like? How are things? Yeah, no, spring's great. It's uh, you know, a typical February in North Carolina. It's like 28 degrees at six in the morning when I'm walking three dogs around the neighborhood, and it's 66 when we're training in the afternoon. A lot of sun out, yeah. so uh, you know, it's what is that about a about a 35 degree swing every day in North Carolina typically. Um, but it's good. We've got our first spring match coming up. We play NC State Saturday morning. We have to use our training field. We on our, it's on our training field. Uh, lacrosse has the game field, but we have a doubleheader with the boys. We play state. My uh, men's team play Liberty. So, you know, we haven't played anybody since that October day that we had to go to Louisville and mm -hmm. uh, got, and got an airplane, flew back home. So it's going to be great to see somebody else. Kids have done really, really good job, and coaching staff is really excited to see uh, to to see. We've had a couple new players at mid semester, which is a new twist for us. Uh, but it's been a really it's been a really positive twist. 
Um, they brought a lot to um, to our team, and uh, then our team, I think, has done a great job of stepping up. So we're looking forward yes. to it. So, yeah, Robbie, those are... I, I really, I really appreciate, and and uh, I like that you're taking on these quality teams in the spring because there are other coaches <laughs> around the country uh, who try to find the absolute easiest game they can play in the spring. Sometimes they even play two games in the same day against teams that you know can barely you know, feel the team. So I see you taking on these quality teams. To be <laughs> fair on this, I know a lot about college sports and I follow college sports a lot. I didn't know that, that one of them was a school. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. And furthermore, <laughs> I got to be able to say, yes, we'll play Matt. Yeah. You know, somebody that will actually play. But Robbie, I want, I want to know more about this. If I'm driving down the street in at 6 a.m. or 5.30, and oh, I man. see you with three dogs. Three dogs. Are they walking you or are you walking them? Are they in perfect harmony? Everybody's walking together. Are they pulling you? Are they tugging you? Like, you running into dogs. trash cans? Like, are they big dogs? Yeah. Like, what? what's the look? What's the look? Okay. So, you know what a scarecrow looks like with one arm going in one way and the other arm going <laughs> in the opposite yeah. direction? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we had two doodles. Two doodles that are each of them are over a hundred pounds. Oh god! Oh and, wow! Uh, and then we have Miss Bailey is so the doodles <laughs> are boys. Miss Bailey is sixteen years old. She was oh. a rescue dog. We've all kind of been through this, where our kids got the dog after after college, and then mm -hmm. they pop off and they can have a dog, but then they move somewhere else or they yeah. take another job and they can't have a dog anymore. I got one of those. Who, who gets the dog? <laughs> Yeah. Who, who the hell gets a dog? We get the dog. Yeah. The dog. So Miss Paley's been with us for about 14 years of those 16 years of life that she is. And mm. I think she's we, she's after the world record for the oldest dog, I think. But <laughs> she them so, so I got two doodles in one hand and they're walking me and I'm pulling Miss Bailey from behind <laughs> in, in the backhand and we are peeing on trash cans. We're in bushes. <laughs> Which, and if we see the arch enemy squirrel, if the arch enemy <laughs> squirrel and rabbit, if we see them come, all hell breaks loose. My arm is gone. And and they are the they are absolutely the best dogs until they uh, see, they see another dog. And when they see another uh, dog, they absolutely lose their freaking mind. They yeah. They lose their mind. Uh, <laughs> I can just picture that sick thing of Churchy walking down the street, uh, walking three dogs. I got a I got a toboggan on. I got yeah. I got a puffy yeah. jacket on. I'm you know I'm sweatpants and I'm walking oh, around. These dogs are great. all over the place. So. <laughs> that's great. Um, all right, let's talk uh, what's going on in in some college soccer. Uh, the people that are listening, first of all, I'll say we're we're um, you know we're in the spring. Like Robbie, Robbie's got a game. Everybody's got games coming up. I think people are excited to play somebody else see how things are going with the guys in, in the spring. But so, so tell me, Brian, tell me about um, what your thoughts are on um, all these college kids, uh, sorry, sorry, these club kids getting opportunities now to join NWSL teams, preseason teams, starting to get contracts. What do you think about the new world that we're living in here with, uh, with the, the club guys and, you know, you think about baseball for years, you know, have to deal with guys going in the draft. But now these these kids are able to go in and, and go into the preseason for a while before they kind of make decisions. What do you what do you think? I think it's great. I think I think it's called progress for our sport. 
we've got a viable pro league. Their viable pro leagues are popping up all over the world. And for the right kid, I think it's awesome. I don't think it would be great if, you know, for my kids. I'd want my kids to go to college. And I think we still have a pretty good platform. But in terms of progress for women's soccer in the United States, I think it's a positive sign. Robbie, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think for the most part, I agree with Brian. I think the, um, you know, it's, it's it's hard to get used to a little bit. Kids are going, you know, all over the place. You're, you know, you recruit a kid, you, you know, you know, is this kid going to ever come to your school? You don't know. You know, I, I think it maybe it's time to, to start that. Obviously there's a lot of rules that need to be changed, but you know, once they make a verbal commitment, can you sign them right away? You know, as yeah. you know, it, it seems to be that, you know, when June 15th comes, August 1st comes, let's say they make a verbal commitment in the next month to two months in August and September. And now we've got to wait a whole year and what, 14 months, 15 months. A lot of stuff happens with that. They're being pulled in a lot of directions. They're going to camps. Um, you know, I think Chris may talk about the new leakage coming out, the USL. That's going to be a player with with all of this, too, in the future. So, um you know, it, it's an interesting time like it is in so many areas in our game. Um, but I do think it is progress, as Brian Lee said. It's uh, it's progress, and I think it is, you know, for the most part, I think it's it's good for the players. But, you know, for coaches, you're you're still stuck. You know, will those kids come or will they get – or will they join the pro leagues? Are they going to get the offer they want? You know, you just hope – I just hope they're getting compensated with some type of education. You know, yeah. and that's the main thing that I hope. I hope. I mean, these these players are giving up, you know, really, really big degrees and, and chances to make a lot of money in later in life. So, you know, are they being compensated with with education that's going to prepare them past soccer? OK, Chris, let's take it from your from your yeah. view, from the pro from the pro view. Let's look at why are the pro coaches doing it? Number one, two, what are the benefits and really what are the the financial, what, what is a kid going to make if they go and they're, they're signing a rookie contract? Like give us the nuts and bolts of it, please. Sure. Um, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the idea that there's even 50 kids out there that are capable of, of stepping into the league and playing is, is crazy. There's a couple every, every year, but we're seeing more and uh, more and more. And we're seeing, you know, kids having the opportunities to go train and, and that kind of thing. And so basically what, uh, as a NWSL club, you look at it and you go, okay, if I, there's a player out there who's 16 years old, who's pretty good. Um, I can get her right now. Um, if she goes to college, she's going in the draft. I'm, I, I may not get her. I may, I got one of 14 chances to get her right. Depending upon where I'm drafting and where she falls and and all of that. But there's no competition right now for me um, as, as I look at her at 16 and 17. Once she hits 18 and she goes to college, then she she has to go through the draft. So you want to grab them before before the draft so you know so you can guarantee that you get them. Um, there are players that have come into the league recently that have signed minimum contracts, um, which um, I think is questionable um you know thirty six thousand dollars or thirty eight thousand dollars whatever it is uh to be a professional player um there are also players who have come into the league you know that have signed contracts you know six-figure contracts right 
And so there is that kind of money out there for the Alyssa Thompsons of the, of the world that are national team players and that kind of thing. But it's the players, you know, below that, um, that there's some question about whether or not it's, it's really worth it. Um, and, and Robbie, to, to talk about the, the educational piece of it, uh, the, the league has, I don't think it's a great situation, but the league has set up a situation where they can get a college degree. I think it's DeVry University or one of these online kind of uh, deals where they, you know, they can and they can be compensated for it and, and that kind of thing. Um, I think the the next piece of this will be, you know, they, they'll be building it into contracts. I'm sure agents are all over it right now where they're building it into contracts where it says, okay, well, you know, as part of my my contract, um, I'm playing for the courage. Uh, I want to go to class at at Duke, um, you know, and and uh, and the team is going to pay for that. I'm sure that's coming. I'm I'm sure you'll start to see that in in, in contracts. Um, but at the moment, we haven't seen that yet. At the moment, we, we that hasn't quite been built in there yet. Um, and and I agree with you. I I think kids that are taking that kind of a risk uh need to have some sort of backup i mean we're all college coaches we all value education um you know it's a it's a big risk you know to, to pass up on a on a education in, at a duke you know or or many of the other places that are out there and and to do that to go to go play professional soccer when who knows how long that career is going to last and there are there are very few players, like I said, that can step in and play right away. There are some, there are some, but there are very few that can't. So well, let, let me ask you this way. Okay. Chris, Chris, you, sorry, Brian, you had, sure. Chris, you had three kids all played college soccer. Robbie, you had two kids that all played college sports. What's your thoughts as a parent? Okay. You're, you're, you know, you know, Chris Gabby comes to you and says, I got this opportunity to go to Louisville to the preseason camp with a chance of maybe signing for him. Um, well, yeah. Well, first so, of all, you're, you're saying, yeah, go to camp. Like, go. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you? Well, you got nothing to lose, right? And So what, 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 what does that look like? So they get they just go into camp, they sign, do they pay them for the time they're no, in no, camp, or how does no, that work? No, no. Okay. So this is just a free tryout yeah. going to the camp. Yeah. And some of these okay. some of these guys have gone to multiple teams, right? Have yeah. gone three, four, five teams. Um, and, you know, to try to see what the environment's like and see which one, because again, they can sign wherever they want, you know, up until they, up until they go to college. So um, they're going to different places and figuring out if these are places they might want to go. And what does it look like? They come, they go to training. Um, you know, they're there at training. When, when we were in Chicago, we had a couple of players that, that trained with us every day that were local Chicago kids um, that, you know, I've, I've gone on to, to do pretty well. Um, so, but you know these kids are going around to all all different places around the country to to take a look and see. Okay, what's... but but as a parent, right? Yep. So you're a parent, yep. and your daughter comes to you and she has the opportunity to yep. go get a degree at SMU, yep. or go play in the league and make thirty six thousand dollars. As a parent, yeah. What do you what? And I, and I don't. It's an interesting question to me if I, if I'm a parent, like what do I do, right? Because I do think if you go in the league and, and say you're a journeyman in the league and you get to play eight years. So now yeah. you come out and you're 25 or 26, maybe you're married, maybe you're, you you want to have kids, but you haven't got the degree yet. So now you've got it at, at that age, how difficult is it to go back to SMU or wherever 
to get your degree as now you're an adult. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it really messes up the time frame, is what I'm trying to say. It, it does. It, it does. And 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 I don't. I don't personally. I don't think I would say to my kid. You know, if she is at the level of where she's going to be a journeyman kind of player, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would support it. But if my kid was really, really good, and she was going to make, you know, six figures, you know, and and her and possibly. You looking at her, she's making it that, you know, that at, at 16. Um, what is she gonna be making at 24? You know, maybe mm -hmm. she's at that time she could be making a million dollars a year, you know. So I think there are again, there are special, special players that this works for. I don't think it works for the rest of the group unless your your kid's just not that academic. Yeah. You know, your kid just doesn't like school, doesn't want, want to go to school, you know, doesn't want yeah. to be Chris, talk you about, you've oh. been on both sides of it. Talk about the what is the difference and how significant is the development for a kid who chooses pro over college from a pure soccer standpoint? And how difficult is the social acclimation when she's thrown in with grown women? Yeah, I think um, the development, first of all, there's, you know, you play on, on a club team, you train three days a week. You know, you play a game or two on the weekend. You, uh, if you're at that level, you know, you're on one of the best teams in the country. Every team you play, you win eight, nothing. Uh, there's three games a year you play that are difficult games. Like you come to the pro environment, you're training every day. Um, you know, your, your coach doesn't have three teams training on the same field at one time. Right. Um, the coaches, the coaches, you know, no, number of coaches that you have in, in the pro level are very focused on your development. They're working with you individually. There's, there's a lot more to the development of the player when you, when you put them in that environment. Um, you know, there's just, there's just so much more to it. Um, socially difficult, so, socially difficult. In the end of the cell, um, those players are not allowed in a locker room. Um, they have to use a different locker room. They have to be separate from everybody else. They also have to have um, a chaperone with them at all times, uh, whether that's a mother or somebody the club provides or whatever it is. Um, so they do tend to be, you know, pulled out a little bit. I will say, and you guys know this, like the players that we deal with, the people that we deal with are pretty good people and they look out for those, for those young kids, I think for the most part. Um, you know, there are obviously some, exceptions to the rule but for the most part they look out they look out for those kids all right churchy send the same question to you i asked chris about your kids you both kids played college sports what would you have thought had they come and said hey i got this opportunity you know you agree with chris disagree with chris do you feel like it would be different what's your thoughts I think you have to have an honest conversation and you, and this is hard with parents because parents yeah. are delusional. And, and, you know, it's like my daughter, Ashley played at UNC Wilmington. I kept telling her she's killing the grass for Paul Carney's team all the time. And <laughs> there's no way she would go and play at that league. And so, you know, enjoy the college life, enjoy the level that you're at, play that, get your education. Now go out and be a nurse. And she's a nurse and doing, doing fantastic. Sure. But, you know, it's so hard as a parent, you've got to have that conversation. So many parents won't, they'll, they'll, they'll unrealistic for their kids. They want to go to the country club, as we've said before, and say, hey, my kids play yeah. the pro. And, and they will push that. 
And this is where I keep asking the question sometimes, where are the grownups in this situation? Where are the grownups, the ones that are old enough to see the big picture? So I think, you know, as a parent now, if, again, I had a kid that was at that level, could play at that level, just as Chris said, yeah, great. What what a great mm-hmm. do. But if realistically they're not at that level, college is college is a fantastic experience in so many different ways. You get your education. You know, you can continue to play. There's so many options internationally, domestically to, to be able to play after they get a degree too. You know, they don't have to come out. I, I worry about the kids, Chris, that don't make it. They're yeah. making it for a year or two. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're 18, 19, 20 years old and they've been cut. Yeah. And they, now yeah. they've given up colleges and they could have gone to great colleges. They've yeah. given up colleges. They've given up that four-year education and now they've been cut and now they're going to have to go play in some secondary league because the NWSL is a tough, tough league. It really and, is. It yeah. really is. And, and those kids that are, and, and that's going to happen. This happened in basketball. Yeah. This happened yeah. in basketball. The few, the few made it, and then, but everybody else now feels like, oh, I'm not very good unless I go pro coming out of high school. You know, I it 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 gets a domino effect. I've got to follow this, and parents do the same thing. So mm-hmm. I hope somebody where, else have a good conversation with them. Yeah, this is where this the USL is is actually a a uh, going to be a good thing for for all of this. So the USL is, you know, starting a sanctioned division one league, same level as the NWSL in theory, right? The level is dependent upon the players clearly, but um, sanctioned as a division one league um, starting this August, they'll be on an international calendar. Um, and uh, they're starting with eight teams. They'll be it. They'll be it probably 14 to 16 within a year or two. Uh, and, and I see it continuing to grow. Um, one of the stats that, that they're putting out is that there's 108 professional uh, men's soccer teams in the country right now. How about that, Brian? 108. Yeah. 108 men's pro teams. Shocking. Yeah. That is shocking. In the United States, Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you amazing. Get- 30 some in MLS and you got yeah. USL one and USL two. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got uh, an MLS pro. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, wow. And then 14 women's teams. Right. So, so there is a market there for, for more women's teams, but one of the things USL is doing that is different um, from, from NWSL is um, they're going to allow each team to have five players sign amateur contracts uh, players that come out of quote their academy each team is supposed to have an academy but that doesn't I, I don't want you to mean that thinks that every team is going to have their own youth program right mm-hmm. it doesn't you know you can you can say you have an academy by by saying okay we're going to train you know once a month and we're going to let these kids come you know the top three players from each club come in and train or something like that mm-hmm. right um so Five players on on amateur contracts, which means um, they still keep their college eligibility. Uh, They come in and they play games with the pros. And they also can still play games with their clubs. Um, Hmm. So you're not pulling them totally out of their environment, but they're getting a taste and they're getting to see what it's like and they're getting to see what the life is like. And we're getting to see if if they can actually do it. 
Uh, and then, you know, when they hit 18, now, you know, they've been doing this for two or three years, you'll have a real good idea maybe of where they're at and, and if they if they really want to do it. How how the club coach is going to feel about that? How's I, Matt Grubb and Adrian Slocar and those no, guys it, it, think about It's an interesting conversation. It, it's yeah. an interesting conversation. But I, I, I because, look, they don't want to give up their players. We, we know that. Right. But they're not asking them to give them up that much. They're yeah. not asking them to give them up that much. And, 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 and you know as well as I do. Come on, Mike. Uh, most of the games that those teams play, right, they don't need those players. They need them some. They, they need them some. I but know, Chris, but, but we have problems getting them to come on official visits because <laughs> the coach gets so much pressure on them. Oh, we can't – we got such a big game. So yeah. now you're going to ask. So you think you think that the, the that the coach and the parents are going to let let them deny their kid a chance? I, I to hope play not. In a professional I, I, I hope not. I hope <laughs> not. I hope they will go. But you can know how those club coaches are, man. They're tough. No, I do. I I I understand where you're coming from because I've seen it, right? Yeah. I've seen it. But I do think that's an important part of you know the people and you know that are going to be involved in these teams. They have to have relationships with these clubs. If they don't have relationships with these clubs, yeah, you're going to have those fights for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's great for the kids if the club coaches allow them to to play because that is a that'd be awesome, right? Yeah. That'd be awesome to get to to play with the pros. Love Pat, it. Okay, I, yeah. One more quick one on this yeah. big general topic is, you know, we we talk a lot, and you and your fellow cohorts in the SEC talk a lot about what's it going to take for the SEC to win a national championship. Well, what the best starting point would be twenty kids turn pro a year. Because yeah. none of them go. You're talking all the elite players, right? Yeah. If we want parity in 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 college women's soccer, and you know, it that'll do it. If the ten best kids every year turn pro, the playing field levels out a lot. Oh yeah, talent wise. Yeah. yeah. And I think they will. No. They will. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to start to recruit. I mean, that's that's conversations we're having now. I think we're all having. We're at the start to recruit. Do you really want to recruit those players? Do you want to start? You want to now as as you look into twenty five and twenty six, or now do we get a good player who's just maybe a level down of yeah. that player but have a better chance to come come to college? But she'll show up in August. Yeah. No, look at Carolina. Look, I mean, let's keep it real. Look at Carolina. They've lost a bunch of their their signing class. They're all going pro. Yep. You know, I, and I heard the other day, you know, Kennedy Fuller maybe going pro still. Like, there's a, there's a lot of lot of questions out there, no doubt. Okay. So I think along these lines, this kind of fits in perfect. And this is the way College Soccer Nation is, and is we, we do these things so smooth, seamlessly. So along, we're talking about going pro, we're talking about USL, we're talking about all this stuff. So let's get into the NIL discussion a little bit, okay? So Brian, this is a question for you. I want okay. you to pay attention to this question. I am paying attention. In the next three years, will the NIL have an effect on the elite eight teams that make the, the teams that make the elite eight. So in other words, will teams that maybe haven't been there before, but now are heavy in the NIL will within three years, will that start to look at you look at the elite eight teams? Will those people have strong NIL um, programs? Do you understand the question? Yeah, I understand the question. You're saying in three years. Yeah. You want to push it to five? How many years until – will that happen? How about yeah. right now? And if it does happen, yeah. But I'm talking about eight. Can you oh, get yeah, to August. Yeah, <laughs> I think absolutely. I mean, 
I mean, the clearest example, whether it's secondhand or whatever, you know, Florida State's got a pretty good NIL set up, right? Yeah. So and rumor is, rumor has so, it. <laughs> yeah, rumor has it. So, you know, that's a school that's not, you know, really built or set up to, to attract the top women's soccer players. And now that the, they're cycling through to get him to get them again. And a lot of it's probably NIL based. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, Brian. I don't know if I agree with that. Like there's now a history there at Florida state of dominance. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is if NIL wasn't here, so there was no NIL, but Florida state, Still be dominant? It's hard to. I mean, they got four national championships now. Well, do, do, doing it, but but doing it a little bit different. Like I, I think even Mark would have said to you, and and said many times, we had trouble getting the best American kid. Mm-hmm. We had trouble doing that, so we had to do it, you know, more with international players. But now, yep. they're getting more of the best American kids, aren't they? But some of that has to do. Some of that has to do um, with, with tradition. Yes. Yes, with tradition, right? Because, again, we're losing kids to schools that made a Final Four. And I'm not talking about Oklahoma, but people that make these good runs are getting better players. So the, the team that's the national championship is going to attract better players. But that's you're right. I mean, Mark Mark's teams were loaded with great internationals, too. So mm-hmm. maybe – I mean, maybe Florida State's an anomaly. So, now, but, And I use them as an example because I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, if you told me right now that uh, – let's just say Kansas – when Nate got there, they said you got 150 grand a year, you know, from our collective. Yeah, yeah. If then, yeah, Kansas could be in the elite eight in four years for sure. But I don't know. Is there? Do you guys know how many like mid-level Power Five teams? Say, you know, maybe made a Sweet 16, make the NCAA tournament every other year. That type of program. What kind of investment are those teams putting in NIL? Yeah, I think the, that's the question. If they are, like, let's say, I mean, Clemson's maybe not a good example. I don't know. So do they just went to the Final Four. Georgetown, Oops. maybe. Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah, Dave's Georgetown. Georgetown. Sure. But he's been, he's been there, too, right? Like, think of Michigan State. Yeah. Michigan State's climbing, right? Michigan State's climbing. Now they get an influx of, of NAL money. Uh, well, It's hard to argue that there's a chance that they're going to get there, right? What about What about Texas? Yeah. What about Texas? Not everybody. I mean, you, you you can look at it. It's gonna be you're gonna be hard pressed to find a, a roster much stronger than Texas next year. Yeah. In the country. I mean, maybe Florida State, but I'm telling you, I mean, they are loaded. And NIL's um, a factor, you're saying. Oh, in that. I, we think so. I mean, rumors. For yeah. sure. You know? Yeah. For sure. I mean, I mean, Lexi Lexi talked about it in her coming back. Part of it was NIL, the, oh, the NIL did, program yeah. that she mentioned. Yeah. So that's not we're not saying anything that wasn't out there publicly. She mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. So let's, you know, I think it's the t- Let's look at the conferences that have the money. Okay. It goes back to that. Who has the money? Who's raising money for football? That's the big 10. That's the sec, right? Those are your two power conferences. They're the ones that's raising money. They're the ones that now for the most part, and then Florida state in our league has a huge football, had a huge football year, huge football stadium and their their collectives are now starting to roll over into so-called the Olympic sports or whatever how whatever you want to call it and those are going to be the power ones there hasn't been a lot of big 10 teams over the years you know Penn State's an example they've been there SEC teams in the final eights in the fi- in the final fours mm-hmm. you're going to see them 
They're coming. They're coming. And that's to your point, Matt, of three to five years, I think it's going to be less. Those are going to be the teams. That, and I think there's, you know, for us, and I'll go back to that list of eight schools you guys, you know, came up with uh, a couple, uh, you know, a yeah. couple months ago. Yeah. Less, less value. I'm seeing it live. Less value on an education because a lot of those players do not feel like they're going to be there. A lot of those players do not feel like they're going to graduate in four years. So what is a what is a education degree from some from an outstanding university going to do for me? It's going to be a little different. I may not be there. I may be here for one year. I may be here for two years. Yeah. Now the options and stuff and people are leaving. I think you'll see the power, the Big Ten, the the um, the SEC. I see more of those teams because they do have the NIL and that people are going to the NIL. They want so, Robbie, you're saying they're not going to be they're not going to graduate in four years because they're going to go pro before the four go years. Pro. Most yeah, like wanna... like uh, Cooper, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I don't think Michelle came in thinking at that point she's going pro, right? But now a lot of kids are going to school because kids are leaving after a year. You know, look at you know Carolina. They lost a couple of kids that you know yeah. they lost in the traditional way. Uh, four years. They lost a couple of the three years, and then they lost one. They lost one. It was a second pick or third pick in a draft who was only there for one year. Yeah, that's becoming much more. That's going to become much more common. Well, Robbie, you're recruiting at the the most elite level of recruiting in Division One. How many kids in this 24, 25 cycle did you come across that talked NIL? You know, in the recruiting process. So in the first part of the process, none. So when you know we talked to them on June 15th, we we got them on campus in August. Nobody talked. Nobody talked that NIL. Talked NIL at that point. Second part of the equation is we had you know one had left us already had gone pro, and then a second one had brought up NIL money in like August or September before they signed for the signing date in November. And wanted to know, you know, of getting paid and stuff. So it's, you know, it's, so there's, but it's more and more. I mean, I'm seeing it with every sport here. I'm, I'm, you know, we have a great women's tennis team here. Jamie Asford, I met him in the hallway today, and he's losing kids left and right to NL us. Our lacrosse team, John Donowski, we have breakfast once a week together. He's now starting a, a, you know, a, a collective too, because he's starting to lose players and players are starting and starting to go into lacrosse, which is one of the richest sports out there. You know, yeah. still become I mean, we, we probably had, Brian, we probably had five kids mentioned to me, like ask, yeah. what's, mm-hmm. what's the NIL situation? Yeah. You know, it's, I think you can double that this year. Yeah. In June 15th, you can double that number easily. Whatever you easy. had last year, it's going to double easy. Yeah. Everybody's going to know which is part of it. If we're in the basketball world, kids aren't going to come and even visit you. Right, right. They're not even going to visit you. They're getting money to visit. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're paying them to visit. Yes, they're they're paying paying them money to visit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My basketball coach said she said they won't visit unless there's a hundred grand. Yeah. Um. You know, or whatever. So, yeah, it's wild. It's wild, wild. Um. Okay. Uh, I just have one more topic. Uh, it seems somewhat interesting, but any thoughts, guys, on the whole MLS uh, referee strike? <laughs> what do you think about that? I think it's interesting. It's really interesting to me. And and you know, your buddy Corey Rockwell has been right. Um, 
you know, pretty loud about it. And, and uh, I thought I, he, it might've been him who put something out about how the ref, the game um, in the cotton ball in Dallas. Um, and, and I, and I think it was, you know, a mess he was playing. So, it, you know, it was full and uh, he got $367 or something to ref the game. And it was a preseason game. Um, Cause I think they could, they obviously get paid more than that, but but the stands are full, you know, tickets sold out, you know, millions of dollars, um, sponsorship, all that kind of stuff. And the referee got $367. And so um, they also talked about, um, you know, these guys are doing multiple games during the week, right? I mean, they're doing three, four games during the week uh, and the travel, right? And they don't, they don't, they don't fly business class. They fly commercial uh, everywhere, um, economy, you know, and, and the player, the players now are MLS. Now everybody's chartering everywhere they go. Yet the referees wow. are, are, are not chartering certainly. And, um, so I, I do, I do have some sim sympathy for them. Um, I don't know the exact numbers of what they make each game and, and, and that kind of thing, but I do have some sympathy for them and, and the league is growing and, and the league has done very well and certainly sharing, that among, I think, important stakeholders, and the referees are important stakeholders, uh, is, is is an important piece. I feel bad for them. They've gone on strike, but you know what? Hasn't stopped the league. People are refing the games. Yeah, you know, so I had a couple of thoughts. $367, right? And, and I don't know this. That was a yeah, preseason pre game. Yeah, you know, I don't know. But you said Cotton Bowl, right? So let's go to the Cotton Bowl. How much – is the guy making that's walking up and down selling cotton candy or popcorn? I mean, is he making 150 bucks? Got to be, right for that game. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, my point is, the referee's pretty important in those games. Yeah, and, and he's not making much more than the guy sitting. Not that there's anything wrong with the guy selling hot dogs. Believe me, Lord knows, I love the hot dogs. I love cotton candy, popcorn. I eat it all. Right, so I'm happy when I see those guys come and die coke. I'll kill it. But, you tip them. You tip them, Matt. Oh, I always tip them. Come on, okay. Chris, you know me oh, well okay. enough. I tip those guys. Uh, God bless them. Right, I mean, walking up with that big thing. But anyway, my point is, like, that's ridiculous. I did not know that. Three hundred sixty yeah. bucks. Well, here's the counter argument. Oh boy. <laughs> so oh boy. There, it, it, here's the counter argument, and I think a good referee is worth whatever you need to pay him. You know, the old argument yeah. when you'd sit at the SEC meetings and they'd yeah. say, you know, referee this. I mean, I would always raise my hand and say, can we just pay him $300 more than the ACC right. and they'll go yes. ref our yeah. But that aside, nobody, say there were 80,000 people in the Cotton Bowl, not one of them bought a ticket to see the guy referee. No, they did not. But they, but they don't see the game, Brian, if they don't have the referees. Well, there's the going to be referees. The game's not played. Well, that's the, that's the not what's played. happening, isn't it? Yeah, there, there's there got to be referees. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I'm always interested by like we were just in Dallas, and let's talk about Dallas. Oh wait, I was the only one here that went to the Dallas tournament, huh? Imagine that. It was the most miserable Saturday I've had in my life in 30 years. It was so cold and so windy and so miserable. It was awful. And then Sunday was beautiful, but Saturday couldn't have been worse. But no, Brian wasn't there. Robbie wasn't there. Like those, those two are smarter than you. Yeah, exactly. We, but we know how to open weather.com and send assistance. 
Well, I got to drive. I was so excited. But anyway, I always look and go, you know, all these games always have referees. I mean, there's 25 fields going on. All have sure. referees. Three, you know, center and two linesmen. All doing a pretty good job. But, you know, you guys remember. Remember when NFL went on strike and how bad those guys were? Remember the NFL strike and one guy called a touchdown. It was a Green Bay game. One guy called a touchdown. The other guy said it wasn't. And all of a sudden, the referees came back. Is it going to take something like that? Is it going to take, like, you know, Messi getting kicked and not giving a penalty? Or what's it going to take to 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 solve it, I wonder? I've got the solution. Yeah. We take the fourth official's money and we give it to the head referee. <laughs> That is the solution. Robbie does yeah. not like the fourth and official. And we have no fourth <laughs> officials. And he's got more money. The referee's got more money. There we go. Well, I I kind of agree with that. The fourth official is supposed to, like, calm things down. Yeah. I, I kind of think they actually cause yeah. more problems. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. 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 yeah, they do. Yeah, that's a good point, Brent. All right, boys, any other topics? Anybody got anything else they want to bring up, or are we good? Well, Good. This has yeah. been a fantastic show. Very exciting. Very entertaining. Julie was great. Robbie was awesome, as he always is. Robbie, I feel bad we don't have a Robbie's big something. Big spring um, games. The big, big spring, spring games. games. That's what we need. That's okay. <laughs> We're good till August. We're good till August on that. I had, if I had another person on the field say, hey, I really enjoyed Robbie's big game. <laughs> well, hey, you didn't have anybody on Saturday saying, I can tell you that because you weren't out there freezing. With the rest yeah, of us, <laughs> I did at the beach in North Carolina. So yeah, uh, told me that. So, <laughs> uh, what'd you say, Brian? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get you a question for Julie on the side, but maybe okay. you could find the answer to this this week and report to everyone. And I yell, I wanted to ask her about hey, how about how does this apply to coaches? If we're talking like open income, what's the legality of like NCAA rules that stop us from training a kid at a certain you know age or time or location you know that type of stuff antitrust yeah, yeah. Antitrust, antitrust. yeah. listen right we're humans too yes. yeah yeah i've run that by your boss all right that's good <laughs> julie thanks julie coming on boys always fun chris good to see you yep Appreciate good you coming you on. give us your insight right. always awesome when you're on uh i hope everybody has a great uh continuation of their spring season hope uh, you finally get to play some games and uh, we'll be back with you in a week or two with one of these times. But uh, for the, this, whatever today is, what is this? February 21st, College Soccer Nation is out. <laughs>